This is a sermon podcast of the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And uh, seniors, I want to again just remind you and encourage you to, um, uh, to come be a part of our luncheon on the 14th. I promise you, you're going to have a fabulous time. And, uh, but please let us know that you can make it, okay? So use that response form and, uh, and uh, we will be uh, ready to greet you and have you for a wonderful time and a great time of fellowship on Tuesday, okay? Well, it's Christmas, and um, Friday evening, uh, we had some child care arranged, and Tiff and I had not started any of our shopping yet, so we used that afternoon and evening to go do our shopping. We got most of it done, thank the Lord. And I got to tell you, I, I have been, in recent years, I have been a phenomenal gift giver. Um, I, have, I, I have started thinking about the person. I buy in accordance with their interests and desires and wants rather than my own. And, and, and I actually think about, you know, if it's clothing, like for my wife, it, you know, is it fitted proper? Um, you know, is it a favorite color? You know, things of that nature. In other words, gentlemen, I have moved from the status of gift cards to I, I know the outfit. And husbands, when you get to that level in your marriage, I'm telling you, it just kind of opens up a brand new horizon of marital bliss and fulfillment. Okay, because, you know, but it was not always that way. I have not always been a really good gift giver. Let me tell you a story. This is an absolute true story about a gift that I gave uh, to my father. So. Uh, again, I used to just give based upon like what was on sale. What's the first thing I saw in a store? Um, you know, just, just whatever. Um, and so I'm, I'm walking through, um, I, it was probably Walmart or Lowe's or something. Um, and I, I was saying, okay, what do I get dad? What do I get dad this year? And I kept thinking, kept thinking, um, although I really wasn't, I think, I don't know what was happening inside my mind, but, um, I, I thought, okay, here's a perfect gift. I'm going to get my dad one of those blue light bug zapper things. A, a bug zapper light. I don't know what the real name of them. I, it's just a bug zapper light. I, I just, I, I imagined I'm standing in line, I'm holding the box and I'm just, I'm imagining dad just kind of relaxing on the back porch, you know, right? Just kind of relaxing and with the occasional, you know, just something dying, you know, just God's creatures just being electrocuted. And, and so I'm like, this is going to be, this is going to be awesome. So, and, and, and I used to think that you used to get extra bonus points for like a big box because when it's wrapped up, you don't know what it is. And, and when you present it to someone, you're like, oh man, it's a big box. It could be almost anything. Well, inside this one is a bug zapper light, you know? So I, I used to think you get the extra, extra points just for the, the size of the box. Okay, so here it comes, you know, boom, sat down in front of him. He opens it up and his look and his facial expression was like a couple of you while ago when we were singing our songs, just, you know, it was a he gave me a, a, an insincere thank you 
you know? And I, I didn't, it, it kind of clicked. Well, maybe this isn't what he was wanting, but, but he'll enjoy it. Once he gets it up, I know he'll enjoy it, right? So <clears throat> I, I was thinking, you know, well, there's a place out by the back patio, place over here or, or whatever here. My, my dad found a perfect place to put the bug light. He kept it in the box and stored it in the barn. That's where he decided to just install it. So, okay. Well, well, maybe he's going to wait till spring because after all, it was December. So January, you know, um, went to dad's house, no light. Okay, that's fine. It's still wintertime. All right. February roll, rolls around, you know, still kind of wintry. Okay, no, no bug light. March. Okay, come on, guys. March it gets a little bit warmer, you know, and sun and, and no, no bug light. April, April. Okay, come on. April showers bring May flowers, all that stuff. Okay. No, no bug. May, no bug light. I'm like, man, June rolls around. No bug light. And okay, well, maybe dad forgot that he had it. That's what I was thinking. And so plus, you know, Father's Day was, was rolling around and, and I'm thinking, I think you know where I'm going with this. Barn, move some boxes. There's the bug light. Tape in its place. Never even been opened. I got that bad boy. I rewrapped it. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, Dad. How about that? Then once I pick myself up off the floor. No, I'm just kidding. I will, I will have you know that bug light has been shining bright. For, for like nigh on eight or nine years, you know, right there in the backyard. So it's, it's great. But a gift, sometimes it's a tricky thing. You know it because you're shopping for gifts right now. Some of you are putting a lot of thought into gifts. Okay. Some of you are like, I, I don't know what to get this person. Right. But how many of you Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, whenever you're with your family. I want to see, let's, let's lift up some hands here because I want to see how many of you are like me. How many of you, by show of hands, really have some anxiety on whether or not someone is really going to appreciate the gift you just gave them? Anybody else? I know, you, I know, I cannot be alone on that. Absolutely. Because you, you work hard. I mean, you really do. You work hard. You put a lot of thought into it. And I really hope that they like it. I wonder if God thought anything like that when he gave us Jesus. But I also wonder, how do we treat that gift? The title of today's sermon is how to enjoy a perfect gift. Because there's no way you could argue with me that there's been no greater gift than Christ. And for those of you who just are on the fence, I'm just telling you, there is no greater gift than what Christ is to us. But sometimes we struggle on how to enjoy it. How do we use that gift that's been given? The song that the choir sang, Mary, did you know? I know the answer. And the scripture that we're looking at this morning tells us the answer. The answer is yes. Mary knew exactly 
She knew exactly what she was carrying in her womb. She knew the Old Testament scriptures. And by that conversation that she had with that angel, declaring to her that she would be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, she knew exactly. And in this song, she is declaring her enjoyment, her understanding, her realization of this perfect gift. And in the second stanza of this song that she's saying, she gives us some principles on how we too can, uh, can enjoy this perfect gift. Would you stand together with me? We're going to read the entire song just as we did last week, but I'm going to be focusing on just a few verses this morning. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation he has so shown strength With his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you know the time I have spent in study. You know the burdens on my heart. You know full well the things that have been going through my mind as I have studied your word. But God, my best efforts come nowhere near what could be and what should be emanating from your word. And so, Father, I pray that all of our attention and focus would be upon your words, not so much mine. But I do pray, Heavenly Father, that everything that I say and my tone of voice, every part of my ability to communicate would only point people more to Jesus and more to your word, that we would glory in you and glory in this beautiful arrival of the Christ child, the Messiah, the Son of God, who lived a sinless, perfect life, died on a cross, rose again from the dead, that we may have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. This is the Jesus that we proclaim today. In his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So some principles, some things I want you to think about from this text, we're going to be uh, just examining verses 50, 51, and 52. That's the second verse. And the words there are pretty important because Mary is declaring the, the impact of Jesus on the world, on her, on her people, the Israelites, and also for us. Let's look at those verses once again and, and let me read them to you and, and follow along with me. This is the second verse of her song when she sings, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. 
He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. That's the gift. In other words, what Mary is saying is, is these are elements of the Christ, the Son of God, and what He will do and what He has done for us. And I mean for us, I'm talking about for you and I'm talking about for me, but we don't always enjoy this gift the way it should be. We don't always really think about the impact of Mary's statements here and what Jesus truly has done. I read this text and I've read this text and I've read this text over and over earlier this week and, and some thoughts came to my mind. I'm just going to pass along to you just, just kind of what was in my heart and in my mind on how we can enjoy the most perfect gift that has ever been given to us. Principle number one, God's redemption is best enjoyed when you know why it came. Let me tell you something, folks. Redemption came for you. Let me say it again. It came for you. We typically think redemption needs to come for that sorry fella down the road. Or I tell you what, I wish so-and-so would get right with the Lord. We don't enjoy this gift nearly as much if we only think about, and, and I'm not saying don't think about who needs Christ. That's evangelism. But we must not neglect nor forget the power of the resurrection and the power of the cross in our life on a daily basis. Look at the text here. For he, excuse me, and his mercy is for those who fear him. His mercy is for those who fear him. Now I'm going to go take you to a passage of scripture because I want to unpack this concept of fear. Now, I know us macho men, we don't like to fear anything, do we? We're in a society now that that we kind of resist. A fear is for sissies. Fear means that you are underneath something. Fear means that something is over you and kind of lords over you. Fear means that you give in. Fear means that you live a certain way based upon, you know, something else. We don't like fear. The scriptures tell us that fear is a basic principle of having Christ in our lives. You can't get away from the concept of fear if you want to live as Christ desires you to live. And the Bible explicitly tells us exactly what this fear is all about. Let's go to the book of Proverbs chapter 8. And one simple verse really explains it all. In Proverbs chapter 8, you know, it's 
it's kind of hard to follow along sometimes in Proverbs because it seems like every single sentence is independent of the one previous or the one after. I promise you, if you ever study it, you'll notice that there are themes to the book of Proverbs and throughout Proverbs. But yes, it's very easy to kind of lift up that one little nugget of wisdom and it and it just it hits the spot. Everybody in Proverbs? Amen. Proverbs chapter eight. Look at verse 13. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. You see, the fear of the Lord is not like arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. It's not like a fear of heights necessarily. It's it's not like any of the earthly fears that we experience. A fear of the Lord means that the things that he hates, I'm going to hate. I mean, when it comes to evil and we know that he hates evil, we are going to have a hatred for it as well. Do you know why? Because we know what God will do to evil. We know his power over evil. He conquered death, hell and the grave. So evil would not be victorious over us. We see day in and day out the power of evil, do we not? If you don't believe me, tomorrow morning, 6, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, whenever you wake up, turn on the news. You will see the power of evil. The power of evil kills people. The power of evil abuses. The power of evil takes advantage of. The power of evil steals. The power of evil does all of these things. It breaks apart homes. It breaks apart marriages. It drives wedges between children and their parents. In other words, evil is the very thing that is exactly opposite of all the good things that God desires for you. The Lord hates it. Throughout scriptures, he he talks about his hatred of sin and evil. God is merciful to those who have that same fear by hating evil. You say, well, how are the two connected, Pastor? That's a good question. I've already explained to you that, well, the scriptures have. Fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. We know what God can do and has done, will do in terms of punishment. But what if my relationship with God through Jesus has that element of fear? That element of fear means that I know what God will do to those who sin. We know that God punishes sin. The Bible says, be sure our sins will find us out. All through, even through the New Testament, you know, Paul reiterated to the churches about the importance of purity in all things. But having a healthy respect of fear, number one, it helps to control evil's influence in my life. But it also drives me to a God who will provide forgiveness. And what do we find As a significant part of forgiveness, God's mercy, not treating us in accordance to what our sins deserve. 
It makes sense. That is why God came in the form of a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That is why he came. So you, by power of the cross, can approach the throne of God and to receive mercy. Why? Because you know what evil does and has done in your life. You know what it's done to your mom or your dad. You know what it's done to your son or daughter. You know what it's done to you. You know what it's doing now, maybe. And you know that God does not tolerate it. But we can go to that same God who does avenge and punish sin. But we can still go to that same throne and receive forgiveness. That is why he came. Fear doesn't mean aversion. Fear doesn't mean that we just kind of quietly stay away from the Lord and I, I'm just going to, you know, do, do the straight and narrow and, 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 and you know, I enjoy the water. I love the water. But the water can kill you, can't it? Love being out on a boat. But I've been in a storm on, on, on a, a nor'easter, out in the, the big sounds in, in eastern North Carolina, netting with my father. And we didn't know if we were going to make it back. But I still love the water. I love heights. How many of you? How many of you like going to the mountains? Standing up on a mountaintop. But how many of you are afraid of heights? Doesn't keep you from going to the mountains, does it? Doesn't me. What is? What does healthy fear do? It helps you to respect what's there. It helps you to actually enjoy it better. It helps you not to be foolish. And that's what having a healthy fear of the Lord is all about. It helps me to enjoy him because I know his boundaries for my life are for my good and not for my harm. So that's verse 50. Second principle is this. God is also in control of every human institution. I want you to desperately just commit to to, to memory and, and just kind of commit this statement in your heart. Because right now, if you watch the national world news, you would think that this world is just turned upside down. It may seem that way, but I want to promise you on assurance of the word of God that there is not one thing that can ever happen in this world or happen to you without two things happening. Number one, God divinely authoring that event to happen Or he allows it to pass through his holy fingers. Nothing in this world can happen apart from those two conclusions. You would think, and if you listen long enough, and if you kind of let it affect you, you would think that there's absolutely no meaning to this world at all. Nothing is in control. Nothing is in check. Everybody is doing what what they like. But look at what Mary said. She's being prophetic here in verse 52. Or 51. Let's go to 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their, from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Mary is declaring God's sovereign rule through Christ over every human 
institution. I'm telling you, he is in control. You needn't worry. Don't worry. Now, there's something about this text, the way that it was written by Matthew, that's very intriguing. If you'll notice what Matthew writes in terms of Mary's song, he writes it in the past tense, does he not? Look at it. He has shown strength. He has scattered. He has brought down. Now, in the Greek, if you don't know much about it, it's a funky, funny kind of language. The, the words and the way that, the, that we call them morphemes, the little tags that you can put on the end of the word to change the meaning, they have tenses to them. And you can change a tense to, it reads one way in the English, but it actually means a couple of things in its original meaning, such is the case with these phrases. It may sound past tense, and it is. Mary is speaking past tense. But in the Greek, it's called the aorist tense. A-O-R-I-S-T. Aorist tense. In the aorist tense, you can have something spoken or written past, but it also means something present and future. That is the tense that is spoken right here. Mary says he has because he has. Why? Because God is the same yesterday. But the aorist tense says God is the same today and forever. It's exactly what we read here in the text. It's exactly what she was talking about. It's what she was meaning. Let me give you some more, more Proverbs. Proverbs 21 and, and verse 1. The Bible says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Proverbs 19 and verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 16 and verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Do you know what this means? Mary is declaring... In, in, in a past tense language, what God has done. But she is also prophetically viewing the future work of God so that it is not only past, but it is also accomplished. And it can be accomplished in your life. We must only yield to him. Oh, that's easier said than done. We must only give in to his ways. Oh, that is so much easier said than done. Because if God is in control of all of these governments, we can trust him with our hearts as well. If all of these texts are true, and they are, it means that we can totally trust him. Now, let me just camp out here for a moment. Maybe a little while. I want to talk to you about trust. I don't know if you know this or not, but trust is very hard. It's very difficult to trust him. It's very difficult to trust the Lord because we don't know what Mary knew. We, we don't have that interaction with the Lord like she did. The most that we can ever live is at, according to that clock, about 1143-ish or so. That's as far as we can go. That, that's, that's right now. But trust means more than just living in the moment. 
Sometimes trusting the Lord means making a decision in the moment that will impact your future, that you don't know what will come to pass. Church, I'm telling you, it's difficult. But please maybe write this down or, or at least just remember it for me. It's not in your, in your handouts or anything. A church that does not trust the Lord will have extreme difficulty growing in any capacity. But I'm telling you, church, it is hard. I, I, I know it is. I wish sometimes you could sit in my chair and see the things that I see and read the things, the emails and stuff that comes along and and look at our church and kind of look at it prophetically and kind of look in the future. What do we do? Where do we go? It's hard. But you know what? You do sit in my chair. You know why? Because you live a life that interacts with the Lord just as much as I do. And you are called every single day. You're having to make decisions that are going to impact your future. And sometimes you and I give in to the fear of other people. We give in to the fear of what they will say about us or think about us or post on Instagram or post on Facebook. We will give in to the fear of rumor milling. We will give in to those fears. And rather than pleasing the Lord, we will please people. I'm telling you, it's, it's what you do because it's what I do. And I'm just not so sure that maybe once and for all as a commitment church wide as a just maybe in a special service. Maybe the time is now and today we are going to say we must trust the Lord. Let me tell you something, Paul and, and Silas and Timothy and Peter, all of those cats, when they started ministering to the Lord, there was a lot of people that they were up against because they were in a world a little bit actually more hostile than what we're in. They were told explicitly, shut up about Jesus or you will go to jail. Acts chapter two, I believe it says their reply was we must obey God rather than men. Church, God is in control of every human institution. Lest we forget in Matthew chapter 16, he said explicitly, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sometimes I get depressed and I bet you do too. Sometimes I get discouraged and I bet you do too. We look at the world around us and we just wonder what in the world can we even do? Are our best days of blown behind us? Can we do anything else? Is there anybody out there to reach anymore? How in the world am I going to get along? Sometimes trusting the Lord means we make decisions and we do things that please only Jesus. And we say to him, not just in testimony of word, but testimony indeed, God, you are in control. We will trust in you and let you work out the outcome. I know it's hard. But again, let me say it. It is required of us to trust him. 
Bible says in the book of Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. You can't even do it. So as your pastor and your leadership, sometimes we'll bring you hard decisions. Sometimes we have to make hard decisions. Sometimes as the leader of your household and and just your interaction with the Lord yourself, you have to make some very hard decisions. But you know what? We step out sometimes when we don't have all the answers. We'll go when all human wisdom says to stay. Why do we do that? Why do we need to remember that God is in control of every human institution? Why is that so important? Why in the world would it make such a difference if I trust him or not? Because of point number three. God reverses our expectations. God reverses our expectations. Now imagine my dad that Christmas morning many years ago. Opening up that stupid bug light that I thought was going to be a great gift. What if he just jumped out of his chair, clapped his hands, says, hot dog, I've got it. Finally. Chris, you don't know. Ever since I was a little bitty boy, I have wanted a mosquito electric chair. What if he had gone so over the top? I, I'd be like, Dad, I think you're nuts now. Okay? God has a way of turning up, down, and down, up. And, and, and sprinkle throughout the word of God, he lets us know about it. You, you know, he'll say things like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I mean, that's all throughout the scriptures. In other words, and this is what I believe is one of the big linchpins of the validity of the Christian faith is because it is so confusing. Because in our world, now listen to me, in our world, everything that we think about relating to success or doing something good is almost always equated to hard work. Isn't it not? A basketball team wins a championship. Why? Because they train hard. They practice well. And they were great on the court. You have a, a business owner, does great, makes a lot of money. Why? Because they got up early, went to bed late, and worked hard in between. You got a marriage that is like the, you know, everybody, man, the, you know, husband and wife, they look like they got it all together. And maybe they do. Why? Because they just work hard in their marriage. Or maybe you see some children, well behaved, all that stuff, just a good family unit. Why? They've worked hard. Following Christ, Jesus changes everything. Because he will not allow you to take any glory from hard work. Because it is his work alone on the cross that has brought you back to a right relationship to God. Everything we do out of that post making the decision to follow Christ is not out of earning anything else, but out of my love for him. 
And so God reverses our expectation. We need, we just need to remember that if God is in control, I'm still going to work hard. I, I mean, Christians, if anybody, we ought to have the best work ethic, show up on time, do our job right, going above and, and beyond sometimes of our expectations and, and do a good day's work for a good day's dollar. And, and we go home and we do all those things. But sometimes this world doesn't add up that way. What do we do then? You still put in a good day's work. You still maintain your integrity and your character. You still do all of those things. Because it's not just about your pocketbook anymore. It's not just about what bill gets paid. It's not just about hours on the time card. It becomes your testimony. Your lifestyle will reflect. God's grace in your life. Because sometimes the world doesn't get it right. And the last thing we need to do is have a prideful heart. The last thing we need to do is to put a barrier between us and the Lord and try to do things our own way and do them His way. It's kind of wrapped up in one word here. Repentance. Repentance. You know what repentance means? It means changing from your ways to God's ways. What ways are you talking about? All of them. Every way that you think, every way that you feel, everything about you changes. And it becomes no more of you. It becomes him. Look at verse 54 and 55. The word says he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So they got it. They got it. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. That's that's where that principle is found. You say, how is that, pastor? You want to. This is this is a good one. Because of their relationship with the Lord. It's the same reason why today. You can still hear about Israel, talk about Israel. Have you noticed there's no country called Philistia? There are no Philistines anymore. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that all of the enemies of God's people, they don't have their country anymore? It's not a people that we read about in the news anymore. Because he helped his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy. God took a lowly people. Now think about it. If all the world kingdoms, even the Roman Empire, couldn't do away with Israel. The Greeks, the Medes, the Persians, they couldn't. They tried. Hitler tried. He couldn't. Couldn't. Can't touch them. Goes all the way back to a promise. Goes all the way back to a promise that began with Abraham and to his offspring forever. You know what's great about that? You and I, for a large part, I don't know of any Messianic Jews in our congregation, but we're Gentile. According to Paul's theology, given by the Lord in the book of Romans, we who accept Christ are engrafted branches. How many of you have ever engrafted a branch onto a tree? 
I never have. I imagine it's kind of complex or whatever. But Paul says that because of what we have done, our, because of the decision you make for Christ, that branch, it, it gets put up next to this olive tree, symbolic of the nation of Israel. And it gets strapped on there. And it's kind of, kind of put on there and attached in such a way that after a while, that branch becomes permanent to the tree. That tree endures forever. That tree is symbolic of not only the nation of Israel, but theologically, it is symbolic of the promise. And that's what we have to enjoy, church. That's the reason why at, at Christmas, amongst all the lights and the ribbon and the, 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 the presents and the candles and the music and the wreaths and all that stuff, which is so much fun, you have to admit, I love it. In the middle of all of that, we are reminded to celebrate the arrival of the one who made all of these things happen. How many of you have ever unwrapped a gift on Christmas morning or whenever? And maybe for a split second, you have to cognitively think about the expression on your face to make sure that, give me an example. I was once eight years old. You never gave Chris Wood an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, whatever. You didn't give that boy socks and expect a gracious thank you. But at Christmas time, like most of you, I bet some of you, you had that one aunt or uncle that just, you almost thought they went through their own house or something, just boxed up something and gave it away, right? And you open it up and, you know, mom and dad, you know, trying to teach you manners. All right, boy, you, you still, you thank them for that present. You know, that's hard-earned money. They spend it for you, right? And you open the box and, and you have to think about, like, for that second, thank you very much. I appreciate the gift. And you put it back and, and, you, and you move on. Maybe there's someone here this morning. You went to a special worship service or church service, doesn't matter. Maybe you went to, uh, or maybe you were at home. Or you heard something and you heard the gospel, you heard about Jesus and the cross and dying for your sins and something resonated within you. Maybe you walked an aisle or kind of knelt where you were and you prayed a prayer and, and you were probably sincere. I hope you were. And you confessed to the Lord your sins and your need for a Savior. You gave it all you had. It's kind of like opening that present that you get excited for just that one moment. But then after that, it just, things kind of went back to normal. You, you kind of started doing the same things the same way as you always had been. 
Except this time you just kind of sprinkle in some church attendance to go along with it. Maybe read your Bible. Maybe. Only when you were reminded by someone. And he got baptized. You know, it got wet mainly. That's all you did. And you're sitting here this morning and you're still struggling with guilt. You're still hurting over what that person said to you the other day. Or what that person did to you many years ago. Maybe you're here this morning and your life is pretty ho-hum. I mean, it's pretty good. You know, you wake up, you get nice clothes on your back and you come to church. And I mean, you feel like you've got something good going on with the Lord. You're reading your Bible, but something's just not there. It's, it's, there's something kind of shallow and hollow about it, almost procedural. Because you've just been doing things that way because you were told, well, I'm supposed to just do these things. My point here is this, is there are a lot of places that us Christians can be in our walk with God. But there's just a ringing of hollowness to it or emptiness or incompleteness. Why? Because maybe in our rush to, quote unquote, get right with God. We forget the things about God that help us to sustain a healthy, growing relationship with Him. Maybe we forget that. Maybe we forget why He came. Maybe we forget that the cross is just as effective in my life today as it was the day that I asked Him to forgive me of my sins and to give me eternal life. Maybe I forget that I need His grace and His mercy every single day. Maybe I forget that God is absolutely in control and that everything that has happened in my life, whether it's a part of my bad decisions or just things that have happened or what have you, that I am here and I've got air in my lungs and I'm sitting right here because God has designed it to be that way. Maybe He has you here for a purpose to take your past and to take your history and to bring it right here at this time for His glory. You never know what God can do with that. Maybe you're struggling to enjoy the most perfect gift ever given because of those things. But but maybe you're still living by your own set of rules. See, God reverses those expectations. And He will turn. He will turn what, what, what you would expect. He, he will turn those rules from, and, and, and turn those expectations from, from what you think they ought to be. He'll say, no, 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 no. You may glory in yourself a little bit. But I don't share it. And anything you do take from me, you've robbed it. You've stolen it from me. And he'll get it back one way or the other. There's an old gospel song. I don't know who originally sang it. And it's just a simple phrase in that one song that captures the the entire message. I will glory in the cross. In the cross.
I will only glory in the cross. Because friends, there's nothing you could ever do. Nowhere you could ever go to make a name for yourself that would ever be worth what you think it would be worth. We would be better off and we would enjoy God's greatest gift if we just remember He saved you for His glory and His glory alone. Let's enjoy it the way that He designed it to be enjoyed. Amen. That's the way to enjoy. It's the way that I can enjoy. God's most perfect gift. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want you to think about for a minute the the things you've heard. I want you to think about how you've been enjoying or maybe not enjoying. Maybe your faith has been a burden to you. Maybe it's just been something that um, has been getting in the way, perhaps. Maybe you're not as close to the Lord anymore is because your faith is based upon the way other people are are living their lives. Maybe you have been living your faith and the enjoyment of your faith based upon expectation of other people. Is that true of you this morning? We, we must all confess it. I, I'm sure we're there from time to time. I have been there. I've, I've let other people control my joy. I've let other people control my happiness. I've let other people affect me way more than what they should. Whether or not they did e- even anything directly or indirectly to me. And I've had to just remind myself, Lord, I... I What they do, what they say, where they go. That's between them and you. The only person I could ever please in this world is Jesus. Church, the only person you can ever please on this world is King Jesus. That's the only person that ever should matter. Not everybody will agree with you when you do that. Not everybody would be happy. But let's face it. Our salvation is too great a gift to not enjoy the way God designed it. I'm going to challenge you to think about that. I'm going to challenge you to just interact with the Lord right now in your heart. And I'm going to challenge you to come. I'm going to challenge you to respond in the way that you need to respond. Maybe your response needs to begin by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the very first time. Maybe it needs to come by by you coming and kneeling and confessing some things to the Lord and asking for His forgiveness and starting things off in you. Maybe there's some other burden on your heart, a person, a, a situation that just needs a touch from the, from the Lord. You come and bring that as well. And Heavenly Father, we end this service with an invitation. I call each and every person to respond to you in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name we pray.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org.